from Oakland, California, epic recording artist, Tower of Power. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Path to Pro Soccer Podcast. I'm your host, Tommy Hoda. On today's show, we'll be joined by two-time MLS Cup champion and current Reno 1868 head coach, Ian Russell. So let's get right into it. Ian, welcome to the show. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm great. Um, Can we just start by... uh, Taking us back to your childhood in soccer, what first got you into the game of soccer? I assume growing up in the Pacific Northwest had something to do with that? Yeah, definitely. Um, Seattle's kind of a hotbed for soccer. I'm an older brother that played, and, um, you know, my dad actually coached my older brother, and I would tag along everywhere they went, and, you know, I always had a soccer ball at my feet. So that's how I kind of got into it. I guess following that, you're, you're, you're growing up. You went on to play at University of Washington, your hometown college. Uh, what led to that decision, playing for University of Washington? Yeah, um, I was not super heavily recruited um, until, actually, right when I hit about 17, um, I made the U18 national team. And that's when I started getting a lot of interest. But I'd already made up my mind that I wanted to stay home. Um, University of Washington was a was a program that was kind of had turned the corner in terms of of their their standings. Uh, they had a coach Dean Morrisberger that was really turning that program around, and he showed a lot of interest in me and a lot of belief. And I just felt like it was going to be a really good fit for me. And um, you know, my family could always come to the games at, at University of Washington, so it was it was great. Yeah, so what was your overall experience like being a, a four-year player there? What were some of the highlights? Um, I mean, we had a, a really, really good team my junior and senior year. I think we were number one in the nation my senior year. Um, unfortunately, didn't do great in the playoffs. We we got knocked out in the second round both years. Um, but I think that my senior year, I think we put, if you look at our class, I think six of those guys went on to play MLS and that's when MLS only had eight teams. So it was a a truly special group of players. Um, And just for me going to the university of Washington, I've always been a Husky fan, whether it was, you know, Husky basketball or Husky football. So to be a part of that, that tradition and culture was great. And just the the support they gave their athletes there in terms of academic support was really helped me out a lot. Um, Helped me, uh, you know, I got a degree in sociology, and they were—they're um, definitely—they're on their athletes to to get their degrees. That's for sure. Pac-12 just has a bunch of bunch of good schools out there. So, yeah, following your time in college, you signed for your first uh, professional contract locally with the old uh, Seattle Sounders of the old A League, and went on to win the MVP in '99. There, did you always know you wanted to be a professional, and how special was it to once again play with your hometown club? Yeah, I mean, I I always knew. I wanted to play pro soccer from, you know, the moment I started kicking a soccer ball. Even I don't even think there was a pro league in in the United States in some of those years where I was telling my teachers that I want to be a pro. Um, But it was something I always wanted to do. Um, I was really fortunate to to get drafted by the Sounders. Um, They were in the A-League at the time. I was disappointed. I thought I was going to get drafted in the MLS coming out of college, um, but knew that I had to work really hard to to try to get to MLS and used it as a stepping stone to to uh, to get there. 
do you, do you think that might have kind of pushed you even harder or maybe it turned out for the best in the long run? Oh, definitely. Um, I think I've always been somebody that sometimes I, I have to get, you know, kicked down to, to realize that I need to do more work to kind of get where I'm going. And, you know, it was kind of a slap in the face for me because I, I did think I was ready for MLS at that time. Um, but it just, it made me work harder. Um, and I had some good coaches in, in Seattle at that time. Neil Megson was one of my coaches and he, he really pushed me. He was, he was not an easy coach to play for. He was very tough. He was old school, but he, he put a lot of good habits into me. And uh, a lot of thanks goes to, to Neil for helping me get to the next level. Yeah. Everybody talks about, uh, I guess, Seattle being one of the top atmospheres around soccer in the United States. What was the culture like around the Sounders when, when you played there? Yeah, it had a, a small, loyal following. That's what I would say. Um, they were definitely a, a group of fans that, that were totally into the team. Um, I'd be lying to you if I, if I said, hey, when they get an MLS team, they're going to get 45000 a game. I didn't think it would be that big. I thought they would have a, a good base of fifteen to 20000 but it's, it's an unbelievable market now. Um, they did a great job of getting that franchise off the ground with their prom- promoting it. They brought in some really good players, and they've had successful teams every single year. So good product, great fan base. Um, the city's really taken to the Sounders. And then following your time with the Sounders, you made it to the Bay Area. Uh, and join the San Jose Earthquakes. What was the adjustment like for you joining MLS uh, and also, I guess, leaving Seattle for the first time? Yeah, I didn't really know much about the city of San Jose, first of all. I, I got drafted there, and I, I knew it was near San Francisco, but other than that, didn't know much about it. Um, when I arrived there, you know, the, we actually had preseason in Florida, so I didn't even go to, straight to San Jose. Went to Florida, and just for me, the, the speed of play, and the soccer intelligence was just higher in the MLS. Um, and it, it did take me a couple weeks to adjust to that. Um, I was always a player that had a lot of speed, but maybe didn't think the game as quick as, as some of these veteran guys. So that was the biggest adjustment for me is just thinking quicker and um, not just running around, just, just trying to play good football. Yeah, and those early uh, 2000 Quakes teams were probably some of the most dominant sides in MLS. What was it like to be part of those uh, two MLS Cup winning teams? And what are your biggest memories from the 2001 and 2003 teams? Yeah, um, I just think the the team chemistry was, was excellent. The whole team, everybody worked for each other. Um, Frank Gallup did a really good job of constructing those teams. And Frank didn't really have to do a ton of coaching in those years. He put us together. We had some really good veteran leadership, Jeff Agus, Troy Dyack, um, Ronnie Eklund, some guys that phenomenal players that if the standard in training dropped, they were the first to, to yell it out rather than the coach. And um, everybody on that team worked hard. Every single player from the forwards to the, to the keeper um, special group. And then obviously we get Landon Donovan um, in 2001 he came in, they used to have an allocation lottery and we, we got Landon and the year before in 2000, we finished dead last. And I remember, you know, Frank Gallup saying, Hey, we're going to get Landon Donovan. And a lot of us didn't know who he was at that time. I think he was maybe 18 or 19. And my first thought was we need a, we need a veteran player. We need a proven player. We don't need a young kid. And 
I mean, I was completely wrong with that. He was just phenomenal. If you watch that 2001 playoff series, he took us on his on his back and scored, I think, six goals in that series. You know, from the the first round to the to the final. So, just a phenomenal player, and you know, just great to be able to play with him. Yeah, and and then I guess considering what's kind of happening in Columbus right now, you were part of the San Jose team when relocation occurred in 2005. What is that moment yeah. like? For a player, how difficult can it be? Yeah, I mean, it was really odd because, you know, you you have to pack up and move. Um, now, during that time, I didn't go to Houston. I was released from the team, and I ended up going to the Galaxy the following year. Um, but everybody was like, you know, you're going online, you're looking at where to get a house or rent a house and learning about a city that you've never been to, and you just basically you pick up everything and leave. Um, and it was, you know, the good thing about it is the core group of players, they stayed and they won two more championships. And it just shows you how special that group was to relocate to another city and continue where they left off of winning championships. Yeah, absolutely. And then you were part of the uh, 2008 San Jose coaching staff, I guess, when the club returned to Major League Soccer. What was it like to be part of the club's return um, and kind of feature you now as kind of a core member of the rebuild of the San Jose Earthquakes? Yeah, it was exciting. Um, so I played my last year with the LA Galaxy in 2007 and then moved back to the Bay. And, um, you know, the team came back and uh, Frank Gallup got hired on as the coach and he asked me to be his assistant. And I was super excited. Um I'd already done some coaching at the youth level, so I was really I really felt like I could help contribute to the coaching staff and just kind of got my feet wet and Frank helped me along and you know, I've learned a lot from Frank and then was able to coach under some other really good head coaches. Did you always know you wanted to be a coach because you said you were doing some coaching on the side? Is this something you were preparing for your whole time as while you were playing? Yeah, I definitely I thought that when I did retire that I would become a coach because I I just remember when I started some of the youth coaching when I was playing, that when I went back to our training sessions, um, you just start seeing the game a little bit differently. And I remember one time, um, you know, Frank Gallup was doing a passing exercise and I was like, hey, Frank, what about if we added this? And he's like, hey, that's actually really good. So we always laugh about that because he calls it the Russell passing drill now, but um, it was just your your mind starts thinking differently, and once you get into the tactical part, it, it gets really fun. And I knew, you know, like I said, when I retired, that I, I wanted to coach at the highest level I could. Yeah. You, so real quick, we have a lot of coaches that listen to this. Uh, can you talk about what the the Russell passing drill is? Yeah, it's just uh, um, so I think Frank brought it from England, and it's just this little one where um, you basically have it's like a rectangle. There's two. There's a couple lines on each each corner of the rectangle, and um, you basically have two guys in the middle. The ball gets transferred across. It's kind of hard to talk through it, but I'll kind of explain it. The ball gets transferred across the bottom end. One of the players in the middle shows short, one long, goes into the long guy who lays it off the short guy, who plays it back out to the opposite side. It gets transferred, and then two new players come in. And that's essentially what it is. You're working basically it could be like two forwards in there or two central midfielders working off of each other, but there's so many different variations that you could do. And that's where I started to kind of add my input at the session. And, um, you know, I'm sure Frank, uh, 
until he retired from coaching was still using, hopefully using some of those. Yeah. So, I mean, you spent a lot of time working with some of the, the top coaches around the game. You've mentioned Frank Yallop now also with Dominic Kinnear, just to name yep. a few of those. Is there someone that you would consider your biggest coaching mentor? You know, so Frank Yallop, Dominic Kinnear, and, and Mark Watson, those are the three main ones that I worked under. And I will say all three of them really had something really to offer. I think Frank, the way he managed players was excellent. Um, obviously, you know, his whole knowledge of the game, he played for such a long time, uh, brought brought a lot from that. Um, Dominic, with, then with Mark Watson, I think um, – like defensively, he really tactically really knows the stuff. He was he was super organized. Um, I mean, he would when when he would do defensive shape, it was to like the inch. No, you need to take a step this way, a step this way, and just seeing how thorough and organized he was, um, you know, was was really good for me. And then with Dominic Kinnear, I just feel like Dominic, the way he drives the training session, uh, he just the intensity, the the way he he runs a session, how engaged he is, it's just contagious with the team. And um, I learned a ton from Dominic as well. So three guys that were just, you know, very different, but you know, they each had something really valuable to to help me with. So you now talk a little bit about where you are now. You've you've moved on to be the head coach with Reno 1868. What has your experience like been so far in your year and a half with Reno as a head coach in USL, and how did that differ from being an assistant in Major League Soccer? Yes, it's definitely a lot different. Um, obviously, way more pressure um, on you as the head coach. You're at fault for wins and losses. Not to say there wasn't pressure as an assistant, but it's different. The head coach, he feels it. He or she feels the, feels the pressure more. Um, I think that I needed as as much as I felt I was ready to be a head coach, you still need to do it and you got to take some lumps and figure out exactly where you want to go with it. And, you know, whether it's the type of style you want to play, what system, the type of players you want to bring in. So all of that is a, you know, I had a really good idea of what, how I wanted to play. But even when I started the season last year, um, you know, we started slowly and it, I had to readjust and finally felt like I had locked on to kind of a style philosophy that I wanted to play. And that was, you know, your your core values as a coach get a little bit redefined once you become a head coach. You know exactly what you want and what you don't want. Um, and there was sometimes an assistant that I would say, man, I would do this differently, this differently. And until you're a head coach, you really don't know. Um and you learn a lot. You learn a lot in those in those early years of being a head coach, which I'm I'm still doing. Yeah. Well, what's one big thing you you would you learned early as a head coach? For me, you have to have the right people in the locker room. You have to have the right players that all share the same common goal and the core values of the club. For me, is you got to bring work ethics huge for me. Obviously, you got to play good football. You got to be a good soccer player to start. But if you're a player that that doesn't want to work, then I, I really don't have any need for you um, because that can be contagious the other way as well. Um, if you got a couple guys that don't work hard enough and then you start losing games, it just sucks everybody else in. So you, you need 11 guys that are willing to go to battle every game and then the rest of the squad, same thing. When they get their chance, it's 
work is first. And, you know, like I said, you, you have to be able to play. That's obviously if you're going to be a pro, you need to be a good footballer. But if you don't have that, that drive, that hunger to get better and to keep working, um, you know, that's one of my core values. And that's the type of player I want to bring to the club. So it sounds like you not necessarily value mentality over skill, but you place mentality at a very high place for your players. Really high place. Exactly. And, you know, it's like there's a saying, um, like, do you have the right players on your bus? And, you know, you have to have everybody culturally going the right way. And um, if you if you get a few that aren't, when results don't go your way, those guys can bring down your team. So for me, it's, you know, winning hides everything. When When you're winning, those players don't have a voice. When you're losing, they do. And it's you you've got to make sure that you have the right players on your bus. Mm-hmm. That's for sure. Yeah. And then in a sh- just a short amount of time that you've been in Reno, you've had a good amount of players progress to Major League Soccer. Do you take pride in being able to help young players like Jimmy Ockford, Chris Weehan, along with others, uh, progress their career? Yeah. I mean, that gives me I mean, great pride. Uh, definitely soccer games. I also want to develop players and get them to MLS because – I, w- I played there. I know how great it is. I want I want to see players get rewarded for for their work and success. And, you know, with those three players, and even um, you know, Dane Kelly went to DC United. Um, I was happy with that. I obviously wanted them, you know, to to stay with the Quakes, but it didn't happen. He went to DC, and um, so that's four guys from last year. I hope they just continue their success and continue to do well. Yeah. So. Just one thing on that is, what is it like for you when you see one of your players, I guess, taken from you mid-season, like maybe Brian Brown right now or Kevin Partita earlier this year? Can it disrupt the team's rhythm, or are you just happy for your player to get that opportunity? Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely happy. Um, but, it, yeah, it can disrupt the, the team's rhythm for sure. Um, you know, Kevin Partita was just really, really good for us in the center midfield. And, you know, when we lost him, um, it, you know, it, there's an adjustment period, but fortunately, you know, um, we've got some good center midfielders, Luis Felipe during that time when Kevin left really stepped up his game. I mean, he was excellent for about 10 games, 10 straight games for us. And then he is now a fixture for the earthquakes, which is awesome. Now we're readjusting again. And luckily we have a lot of depth in that position, but, um, yeah, it, it does disrupt, but you know, this is what it's about to, to push players on and, to hopefully help uh, earthquakes. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's a challenge that some of these affiliate USL clubs have to deal with that maybe some others don't necessarily have to deal with. Do you ever think about right. that part of it? Yeah, I mean, I will say it would be a lot easier to coach a non-affiliated team um, just because you know exactly who your, your 18 is going to be every single week. Um, but I wouldn't want it any other way. I love, you know, I love working with the earthquakes. I, they've been, you know, I've been a part of them. They've been a part of me for since I was, you know, 22 years old. You know, so is whatever I can do to try to get them better by developing players here, I'm all in for that. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a very it is a tough job. I, I'm not going to lie about that. It's I remember talking to Eric um, Bukier last year, um, and he's like, "Man, this is the toughest job." I'm like, "This is really tough because not only are you." sending players up using your top guys, but you're getting players coming in that aren't regularly training with you. Um, so that's tough. 
you have to do a crash course on on how we're trying to play, what we're doing the next for the next game. And sometimes that can be really tough. And sometimes these players come up on a Friday night, you know, the night before a game, and um, because the Quakes need them for training. So that can be really – that is a tough one. Um, and it's also sometimes tough for the players that are in the squad. You know, all of a sudden a couple of players come in, now they're not starting, and some of these players may have been playing well. So that's where it gets – you know, the affiliation teams are, are tough for coaches, but like I said, it's it goes the other way because I can sometimes recruit players here to Reno because they want a chance to, to get on the earthquake. So it's kind of a, a two-way street like that. And then you have seen, you've kind of seen the progression of the USL specifically having played in the league in the late 90s and 20 years later now coaching in the league. What are the biggest changes you've seen in the league both on and off the field? Yeah, I think um, just the professionalism has gotten better. Um, now, I thought that the Sounders, when when I played in the USL, was a pretty professional organization, but there were some that that really weren't. And now you've got you've got some really good ones. You've got teams that have their own stadiums. You've got San Antonio, Cincinnati's getting forty thousand people a game. So there's some really really big clubs that are spending big money on players. So that's that's the biggest difference. Just the overall quality um, is good. I will say, though, when I played, there was less teams, and the quality was, was pretty good. It was good. The level was good. Um, there's so many teams now. I don't want to say it's diluted, but um, because I think the overall soccer base has grown so much. But um, the quality was very good back when I played, and, and it still continues to be good. And um, they keep on adding more teams. and. Some teams are going from USL to MLS, like Cincinnati will and Nashville. So overall, it's a great thing. The same thing, I guess, with Major League Soccer. Did you think it would be at where it is today or when you played in 2000? Or do you think it's ahead or behind of where you thought it would be? It's way ahead of where I thought it would be. In 2000, actually in 2001, they were actually very, very close to folding the league. Um, And actually, San Jose was one of the teams that they were going to retract from the league. But we won the championship in 2001, so they couldn't they couldn't do that. So you know Miami and Tampa Bay were were two teams that they retracted. Um, I feel like what changed everything was when David Beckham came. They, the DP rule he brought a lot of just attention to our league, and then other stars came, and then the, all the money that's being pushed in by the owners now, the quality of play in MLS over the last five years. It's getting good. I'm, I watch Atlanta United, and I'm, I'm thinking to myself, I mean, this team, this this team can play. They're exciting. They're dynamic. Good footballers, good pace everywhere. Um, and you're starting to see you know, LAFC is another one. I mean, a brand-new team and very good. Um, so the level of the league, I mean, people are enjoying, I think, watching MLS now, whereas before they were like, they'd watch it maybe to support their local team. But, you know, sometimes the quality wasn't the best. But this league, it's it's no joke. This league is really good, and it's going to continue to get better and better. Going back to Reno a little bit, how did you start the process of building that team? What was your first the first thing you kind of did? What do you look for in a player? Yeah, so for me, um, I wanted to attack. I wanted to score goals. So... I, Dane Kelly was my first signing. He was a player that 
has, was a proven goal scorer in USL. He was still young. So I, I thought he would be a good one to, you know, maybe earn a contract with the Earthquakes um, because he's kind of under the radar, even though he was scoring goals. I want to kind of get a hold of him and see why he hasn't making that jump to MLS. Um, so every player that I signed, even center backs, I would look and say, hey, are these guys scoring on set pieces? You know, I was looking to put goals everywhere on the field if I could. Um, my right back, Brent Richards, was a former striker that scored a ton of goals in, in, in PDL before. So even my outside backs, I wanted to, you know, if they could chip in with a couple goals. And that's, you know, we scored 75 goals last year. Everybody was scoring. Um, so that's kind of how I wanted to build. I wanted to play good attacking soccer. Obviously, you have to defend. Um, but I wanted to have an exciting team that, that likes to get forward and tries to win the ball high up the field defensively. Well, I think you, I think you've kind of accomplished that part because it's easy for me to flip on Reno late at night because I know goals are going to go in. So it's, exciting, <laughs> yeah. it's exciting to watch. Um, what's, what's one piece of advice you'd give an aspiring young coach that, that you wish someone might've told you? I would say, um, you know, kind of have your core values get your core values in line of of how what you want in players and you can always adjust that a, a bit but i think for the most part you got to stick to your guns stick to your beliefs and um go with it you know there's a lot of times there's no right or wrong answer on, on how you believe the game should be played so if you strongly feel like i want to play this way this style go all in with it and you know what if it doesn't work then you may need to readjust some things but i think you need to go with what you believe in and, and go with your gut yeah so what what are your personal ultimate goals in the game in soccer and coaching yeah for me i just i want to just continue uh you know to to keep learning to to get to the highest level i possibly can in coaching i, I love it um i immerse myself in it i'm always looking watching games trying to figure out new ways to do things i think if you you stop trying to learn as a coach, you're you're going to be dead in the water. And I think the game has changed quite a bit in the last, you know, 10 years in terms of tactics. Now, one thing will always stay the same, the work part of it. You always need that. You always need guys that are going to work for you. But tactically, I mean, things change. There's always new trends. Um, and I think you need to sometimes adapt and, and keep coming along just like every other sport. Um, it gets better and better. So soccer is no different. You know, there's a lot of young, good coaches, good older coaches that are, are doing really good things. So just got to stay with it. Yeah, is, there, is there any European coach or any coach around North America or South America, anywhere that you really like to watch their style and tactics? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, I've, I've watched a lot of, a lot of like one of my main mentors first was Jason Christ when he was at Salt Lake. Um, I loved how their their team played. Um, they played a diamond, uh, little diamond midfield, and they were phenomenal at it. And I just remember, you know, for me, what kind of kind of opened my eyes to everything is I used to with the earthquakes. I was I was in charge of getting the guys that weren't starting in the game um, ready to play against. Basically, I would they would be the opponent. So if we were playing Salt Lake, I would take our 11 guys and I'd line them up how, how Salt Lake would line up. And I remember putting them in, in this formation 
and we were playing against the first team, and I'd watched Salt Lake a lot, studied them, and I put them out in the diamond, and we were playing against the first team that day, and we were just toka-toka all over the field. And the first team had a really hard time dealing with the movements and intricacies of, of that formation. Now, there's other ones, you know, 4-3-3, three, three, they're the same movements, but that's the one that really opened my eyes. And, you know, I started really studying some of these coaches, actually Peter Vermees as well, like play the 4-3-3, three, three, presses really well out of it. And it's like, where, how are they doing that? And you just have to study these guys. You know, Tata Martinez with Atlanta United, another one. Um, I haven't had a chance to really go over how they're playing, but when I watch them, man, it's just dynamic and, you know, they want to attack, they defend well. Um, so, you know, you, you have to study coaches that you like how they play and then you add your own twist to it. And then just one thing just outside of the soccer, just to finish up, um, do you have a favorite hobby or something you love to do outside of the game of soccer? Yeah. Um, I, I like fishing. So, uh, I like to go fly fishing and Reno, obviously it's, it's right up here in the mountains. So that's one thing I've been able to do a lot more than I did in the Bay area. Um, if I have a day off, it's what I do. It kind of, it's the one thing I can do where I'm not really thinking about soccer all the time. So, um, kind of gets my mind away from it. And, um, you know, the Truckee river runs right through Reno. So five minutes from my house, I can, I can get out there. It's awesome. Reno is one of the most beautiful places in the world to, to yeah. be out, outdoors person. So that sounds amazing. Yeah, I had no idea, actually, before I moved here. Um, that Reno was so nice. I just thought it was a, a really just a gambling town and didn't have a lot to offer. But I was completely wrong. It's a great place. Absolutely. So, well, thanks so much for your time today, Ian. Really appreciate it. And good luck the rest of the way with Reno. I appreciate it. Talk to you. That was Ian Russell, head coach of Reno 1868. That's all for this show. We hope you join us next time. And until then, keep supporting the beautiful people.